Welcome to the world of thoroughbred racing on the Equisport Radio Network. Alidar's got a lead. Alidar put ahead in front, right in the middle of the stretch. It's Alidar and Affirm battling back along the inside. We'll test these two to the wire. Affirmed under a left-hand whip. Alidar on the outside driving. Affirmed and Alidar heads apart. Affirm's got a nose in front as he come on to the wire. And down the stretch they come. On the outside, it's Sunday Silence. Easy goer with Pat Day. Back to challenge. Heads apart. Easy goer on the inside with a slight lead. On the outside, Sunday Silence. The rest of them far back. Here's the finish of the Brinkness. Sunday Silence and easy goer. Photo finish. Noses apart. She's starting to pick them off, those in Yacht are going to hook to the outside. Meanwhile, it's Colonel John Summerbird in the red cap. And Zinyata's come to the outside. Zinyata coming, flying on the grandstand side. Gio Ponti on the inside. Summerbird is right there. This is unbelievable. Zinyata, what a performance. One will never And now, your host, Les Salzman. He's really blazing a trail as he turned around Captain Corner. This is a sparkling performance. They've got over three furlongs to go. We know the horse stays and surely Steve has stolen it. They've got just over three to go. One horse in the picture. And that is Slip Anchor. Steve Corner records this horse is the best horse he's ever ridden. He could prove it here today because Law Society's in second place. Supreme Leader is third. Then comes Shadeen who's being pulled up at the rear of the field. But they've got just two and a half to go. Two to go. Steve looks right on Slip Anchor. This is a blistering pillar to post victory here. He's eight ten lengths clear from the second horse, Law Society. Third is Supreme Leader. Theatrical hanging under pressure. Staying on his land, Frank Evans. Not going to get anywhere near his stable companion. That's Slip Anchor. This is Steve Corbett. Steve's first derby victory. Tridden out for the post. Staying home, coming home well. One horse race. And that's Slip Anchor. Slip Anchor the winner. Society second, close from third between Damister, who stayed on well, and then came Supreme Leader, then Lanfranco, then Fardanti, and behind that one came Reach, then Theatrical, a disappointing run, then came Royal. A tremendous effort from a tremendous horse and rider and tremendous country western singer, Stephen Cawthon. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> You know, know about when we singer, get <laughs> when we get ready to do the shows, we kind of try and find a highlight uh, for somebody. And I was going to play something from, from your album. Oh yeah. And I'll I said, not nah, let let's do a race <laughs> instead. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, good call. <laughs> <laughs> that that race, that race, had to be one of the most exciting two minutes of your life even though you won the Triple Crown here in the United States. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, obviously I'd been over there for a little while. That was, uh, I think, uh, my sixth season in, in uh, England, and I just moved to Henry Cecil's stable. And, uh, uh, you know, when that horse uh, in the spring, you know, I mean, the year before he had been just a, you know, just an ordinary horse. Nobody was talking about him. But he just improved so much, uh, you know, from obviously I would usually go back about March for the start of the season, a little before. And, uh, you know, he just improved so dramatically, you know, that spring. And um, I was just obviously really excited that uh, I thought I had a chance to win my first Epsom Derby. And I called my dad and said, you got to come over. So he was there. 
and uh, I nearly didn't make it because we got <clears throat> we'd gone to all this, you know, got a helicopter to fly us in, and we flew our uh, Walter Swinburne and myself flew our dads over to the track, and because we didn't want to get there too soon, well, the fog set in, <laughs> we nearly didn't make it. But uh, anyway, no, it was a uh, it was a tremendous uh, you know thrill to. To win like that, you know, when I, like you said, I, I kind of let a gear out going down the hill at Tatman Corner. And, uh, when I kind of glanced around and l- realized, you know, how far clear I was, it was like, you know, holy cow, you know, um, so anyway, it was, it was, it was it, a great thrill. If any of our listeners get a chance to watch that race on YouTube, it actually is pretty incredible because he just exploded when, when you change, Changed your hold on him. He just, he went on with it. Yeah, he, uh, you know, he just, he really handled the course very well. And, um, you know, coming to Tattenham Corner, it's kind of hard for people to really imagine what a a big drop, you know. I mean, it's like probably a, I don't know, it's a hundred and hundred plus foot drop in a, you know, in a furlong and a half, you know. So it's pretty, you know, it's pretty dramatically, you know, downhill. And I mean, obviously some horses don't handle it and whatever, but, uh, you know, like I said, I just kind of let out a notch, not really, not, 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 you know, not the full thing, just kind of, you know, start striding on really was what I was in. Um, you know, it just, uh, it was dramatic how, you know, how quickly he opened up and basically the race was over. You know, th- is, this is a good jumping point to go backwards to a little bit about your early career because that most most of us know but you know in the 1970s some of our li- many of our listeners weren't even born then right <laughs> and 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 you 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 were the kid when you won the triple crown with the firm and i have to apologize that affirmed clip is part of our normal ent- intro uh but right you've you won the triple crown with him and mm-hmm. you were, everybody called you the kid because you were right. You were what? 17. Right. Yeah, I still am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, no, I was 18 when I won the triple crown. I had turned 18 a couple of days before the Kentucky Derby. And you, you grew up, you grew up in Covington. Right? Well, I was born in Covington. I was born in Covington and then we moved or, you know, we were down, my dad was a blacksmith. So we, we, we went to, you know, we went to new Orleans. Um, and we lived down there for a couple of years and then we moved to, uh, Oklahoma for a year and then moved back to new Orleans when my dad realized he couldn't make it <laughs> shoeing horses and raising cows out in Oklahoma at that time. Um, and then, when I was five years old, we moved back up to Kentucky. You know, that's that's the old racetrack life, isn't it? You, you know, you're, yeah. You're here for a while and there for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we moved Did, around a little bit, but not, you know, not that much. Like I said, when from the time I was five, you know, we had a pretty steady life. My dad kind of worked the circuit here, and he worked at River Downs in the summer and Churchill, Keeneland, and Beulah Park. Uh, the rest of the year in Latonia. Um, and, uh, so yeah, we, we went to school here and it was, uh, you know, we were, this was kind of how, um, 
So, you know, and then uh, then I got the dream of trying to become a jockey and, you know, sort of, uh, I think, you know, originally, I know, you know, I was never really envisioning myself going all the other, all the places that I ended up going, but, you know, I was just uh, thinking I'd be happy to be the leading rider, you know, River Downs and Latonia at the time, but, uh, of course, that changed fairly quickly and, you know, I got lots of opportunities and I tried to take advantage of them as, as many of them as I could. Did you always want to ride? I, I always loved riding. I was, you know, I was riding a pony when I was two years old. Um, but, you know, when I was a kid, I really, you know, I liked sports. I was, you know, uh, pretty fast and pretty strong for my age. Um, from, but, you know, of course I was always fairly, you know, not, not one of the bigger kids. And I think it was, uh, I played basketball. I was a starting guard on our sixth grade basketball team. I tried baseball. Uh, you know, I wasn't that great at baseball, although I liked it. Uh, football was what I really loved because I, I loved all the contact, you know, tackling and all that stuff. Was, you know, and I was a big Johnny Unitas fan, so <clears throat> I dreamed of, you know, someday being a quarterback on a pro team, <laughs> like a lot of kids. But uh, when I, I, I think it was after sixth grade, the summer of sixth grade, and I came back for seventh grade, all my buddies, you know, like had grown another two inches or three inches and I was still the same size and that's when I started to realize that uh, just regular you know football baseball basketball those sort of sports probably weren't going to work out for me and that's when I kind of started thinking about the racetrack and I read a book uh, that was written by Eddie Arcaro about this I think it was called I Ride to Win and it really kind of you know, and it, it, you know, all of a sudden I thought, yeah, that's something I want to try to do, be a jockey, you know. And then I read a couple other books, and I talked to my dad, and um, he said he'd try to help me because obviously I think at one point in his life he wanted to be a jockey, um, you know, and then he grew too big pretty quick. But, uh, you know, it all just kind of took off, and I started working on a farm, breaking yearlings the next summer, <clears throat> and... uh did that for a couple summers and then uh, snuck onto the racetrack as a 15-year-old to work, you know, work at the track. Um, and so, you know, when I was 16, uh, I was actually, you know, pretty well prepared to start riding. Last week we interviewed uh, Tony Black, who's a rider up at uh, Parks in, Phil- in Philadelphia. Yeah, I know and Tony started- very well, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, um, well, he's older than... Everybody, including me, which is an amazing thing. But uh, t- Tony was talking good about for an old guy, though. I'm sorry. I said he's in pretty good shape for an old guy. I'll tell you what, he's an amazing guy, and uh, he rode for me when I first started training. He he came to the racetrack roughly at the same age. He was 17 when he he started riding his first race, and uh, also you know was involved in other sports. But one thing I think with both of you guys is you really have a strong desire to win when you do something. And, and yeah. talk about that. Talk, because there had to be a lot of drive to get you from being a 15-year-old kid to being an 18-year-old Triple Crown winner. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think, to be quite honest, um, you know, if you look at people in any walk of life, 
you know, there's, there's talent and there's, you know, work ethic and various different things, but, but desire is probably one of the intangibles that it's hard to, you know, explain or understand unless you, you know, you got it or, you know, people that don't have it don't understand it, I guess. I don't know. Um, but it's a huge difference maker and, uh, you know, the desire to, to be the best you can and to, you know, as you say, be a winner, you know, win, try to succeed, success, you know, get, you know, achieve success. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the same, you know, it's the same in horses, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, horses, you know, there's so many of them that have so much talent that just don't really want to do it. You know, they end up, you know, saying to the other horses, yeah, go ahead. I don't, <laughs> when it comes to, you know, competition, you know, uh, as far as ability, they've got it, but desire, they, they totally lack it. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, it, it, uh, certainly got me a long way in my life for sure. In looking at the horses that you've ridden over the years, you've ridden all kinds of horses with all kinds of racing styles. And sure. it seems to me that both here in the United States, but even more so in Europe and watching a lot of your races from Europe, you really got in tune with your horses. And, right. and it was more than just having good hands or whatever. It seemed like you were moving with the horse as one. Is is that accurate or? Well, you know, I think so. Yeah. I, I, you know, that's obviously the, the desire, you know, you're, you're trying to, <clears throat> move with them and not impede them, you know, help them if you can, but at the, at the least not, not impede them, you know, try not to, you know, stay in balance and rhythm with them. And, you know, but a big part of it is just judging, you know, what they've got and when to try to use it, you know, and how to, you know, when to put the pressure on, you know, like somehow, obviously I want a ton of races from the front, you know, which is, you know, um, you know, which is good because basically when you're in front, you're in control, you know. Um, everybody else has to get past you, right, before, they, you know, they win the race. So, you know, if you're pacing your horse and he's comfortable and you, you know, and you know when to kind of put the pressure, you know, start trying to stretch the other horses, whether it be an immediate thing or a, just a gradual thing, depending on the length of the race or, you know, how the race has been run so far, you know, obviously sometimes if you, you know, if you've been able to go an easy quarter or easy three eighths in a six furlong race and you can just, you know, immediately give a turn of foot, the race can be over in two seconds, you know, nobody's ever going to be able to catch it, you know, um, same thing in a long distance race. If, uh, you know, you pace it right early on and you know, you've done that, you know, and then you start stretching everybody and you know your horse has got the stamina you know you can just run them into the ground you know um so you know it's just it's understanding pace and strategy and but you know the bottom line is you got to have the horse under you to do it you know and the, the horse well, that's desire, always the you case. know right right and, and you know and also a horse with you know not just ability but desire you know like that was a great thing about the firms you know he had the ultimate desire. I don't, you know, I know I've ridden a lot of, you know, I've ridden thousands. I think I rode 14, 15,000 races in my career. I've never, you know, I don't, I can't recall one other horse that 
you know, had any more desire than him. You know, I mean, he just, he, you know, really loved to fight and, you know, win. He was, you know, he was a winner. And, uh, you know, he was, um, you know, just had the, you know, he had everything. And people always, you know, would ask me, you know, what makes him so special. And, you know, I would, you know, the only thing I could ever <clears throat> really kind of compare it to was like a Michael Jordan in basketball. You know, and I know that there's been lots of other great, bas- good, you know, really good basketball players. But there's a difference, you know, when, you know, like you say, a player can control, you know, the game, you know. Um, and, you know, when people, you know, I mean, he could basically win a game almost by himself, you know. Um, and he also, when, you know, somebody, when they started figuring out one of his te- things, you know, he like did the drop away jump shot or whatever, you know. Uh, you know, he just could create new ideas, you know. I mean, he nobody could come up with some of the dunks that he made, you know, like he'd go up, up, and then go under, and, you know. I mean, he was just a freak of nature, you know, and, uh, you know, he obviously also had that desire, and the firm was, you know, like that. You know, he could win at five furlongs. He could win at a mile and a half. You know, he could adjust his talents, you know. Um, and, you know, obviously for me it was a you know, a wonderful uh, thing for me to get a, to ride a horse like him so, so early in my career. When he came down the lane, it just seemed that he he wasn't going to let horses pass him. No. I mean, was, was, he, was he that type? Well, he was, you know, like you said, yeah, he loved the fight. You know, it was like he, like, he loved looking them in the eye. I, I think, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember, Bill Mack. Um, wrote in this article, or in the, he was, it was all, it was in the, um, they did a documentary about the firm in Aladar, and he said, you know, and you could, the, the last, you know, when, when the firm won by a nose, you know, by four inches in the Belmont, he said it was lo- like Moby Dick looking back at Ahab, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I got you, you know, so you're not going to get by me, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to drown you here, you know. You're just, you know, you're, yeah, it's just not going to happen, you know, it's just like, and that's kind of, you know, if if it, you know, if his physical being could possibly stay in front, it was going to happen. Now, you wrote him for Las Barrera, and you're a 17-year-old kid when you start getting on the source. How, How is it to ride for Las at that point with that kind of pressure? Well, you know, it was really pretty good. Um, I got along great with Laz, you know, Larry Barrera was my good buddy. Uh, you know, Laz kind of almost treated me like a kid, like his own kid. Um, I really, you know, certainly in the beginning, I didn't feel any pressure at all. Other than, you know, obviously I was wanting to win races and, you know, when hit races, particularly for them, um, uh, Mr. And Mrs. Wilson were, you know, very, um, you know, they gave me a lot of confidence because I knew that they, you know, they felt confident in me. You know, Mr. Wilson was an unusual guy that, you know, if he, in his mind, if he saw, you know, he, he saw something in me and, you know, he wanted me to ride the horse right from the beginning. You know, he, it was like even, you know, because I was obviously riding him as a two-year-old as well. And, you know, we were, you know, he, there was no question of me not riding him in the Triple Crown, you know, them trying to get somebody with more experience or anything. He, uh, you know, he was very happy to have me on board, and I, you know, so that gave me a lot of confidence. But, um, 
you know, no matter what happens, you know, and obviously, you know, when the when you get right in the middle of the Triple Crown, we won the Derby. Everything was great, you know. Um, and then we won the Preakness, and that was all good. But yeah, the, the build up to the you know actually having a chance to win the Triple Crown, and you know, knowing that you've got a a, a horse like Aladar, you know, which is like, you know. I'm sure, like uh, Ali and Frazier, you know, every time they went to fight, you know, that's what and, it was. Yeah, and, obvi- and obviously, Ali, you know, in his mind, you know, he he felt like he had him, but it wasn't by much, you know. <laughs> it's like you know, every time I fight this guy, you know, it's going to be close. You know, I gotta, I can't make any mistakes. You know, I gotta do everything right, or you know, I might get, uh, you know, I could easily get beat, and uh, and that's really how I felt about Aladar, you know, and I, one of the things that I think served me well was I, I totally respected him and I never, you know, I never, uh, underestimated the fact that, you know, he was going to be tough to beat every time. That, that battle between the two horses and you as a rider and, yeah, did that, how could I put when you went to Europe, it was a different style with different style training and trainers and everything else. Right. right. Did, did that that experience in the Triple Crown did that give you the base for going forward as 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 a person, not as a rider, but as a person because you became tough and strong. Yeah, I think so. Well, you know, obviously it's not just that experience. You know, my it's you know your whole. I had a strong family unit, you know, I mean, they gave me confidence. Uh, you know, it's nice to know that no matter what happens to you, good or bad, down the road, you know, you always get, you know, you know, you know, you can always go home and, you know, everybody loves you there, you know, no matter what. Um, that's a big factor in, in life, I think, you know, and that's one of the, you know, blessings I had that, you know, like you see a lot of these young college basketball players or whatever, you know, and they go into the big, you know, and they get hundred million con dollar contracts or whatever. And, but, you know, they haven't really got any family that, you know, to support them. You know, maybe they got a mom, maybe they got a dad and maybe they got neither, you know, you just don't, you know, it's, they come from a lot of, you know, tough, tough, uh, situations. And, uh, you know, so that part I was, you know, blessed with and, uh, you know, I was, a. I was trained to be a, you know, a fighter myself. You know, my mom was a, you know, she was a very good athlete and I think she instilled a lot of the toughness in me. And of course my dad, you know, was, you know, a blacksmith and a horseman and, um, you know, so he knew the game inside and out and, uh, you know, he knew the ups and downs of it. And, you know, um, I think, uh, my, my, um, one of the trainer that I first went to England to ride for Barry Hills said it best, you know, he said, racing is hours of agony and moments of glory. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I mean, it's so true, you know, like you never, you know, you're lucky if you win 20, you know, 20% of your races, one out of five, you know, you're lucky. Uh, you know, obviously at some point you're going to go through bad streaks. You're going to have fall, you know, injuries or, you're, you know, you're going to have a horse that's favorite for the derby and it gets injured or something happens, you know, so, you know, there's just so many things that can happen. And, uh, but, you know, so you, you, you know, if you, if you don't have a, a, a pretty strong,
strong constitution, you know, in, in racing, you're, you know, you're, you're going to struggle. Now, when you retired, you stayed in the business. Tell, tell oh, yeah. me a little bit about what you, you've done after, after you hung up the, the stirrups. Well, I, uh, years ago, 1977, uh, when I was 17, like right after I started making some money, I bought a 300 acre farm and, you know, about four or five miles away from where my parents, where I was raised in Walton in a town called Verona. Um, you know, I basically bought it at the time as an investment. You know, I didn't know what I'd do, but, you know, gradually as time went on and, you know, I started to kind of develop it as a, as a horse farm, um, built some fans, some barns, you know, and we had a, you know, we, I had a few mares here and there, you know, during the time while I was riding. Um, so when I got back here, you know, um, and I got married, uh, to my wife, Amy, you know, we, we decided that, you know, we'd, we'd be happy to live, you know, here on the farm. So we built a house here and, uh, took me a year or so, you know, to decide, uh, I played a little golf for a while, but then I thought, you know, you know I, I, this is, you know, I can't live just messing around with golf I you know I wanted to have something to, to do and work you know work towards so I started uh you know I bought a couple mares and I started breeding and uh you know I love it I mean I I like breeding I like raising horses I like racing horses right now I've got five two-year-olds in training um and uh you know I've got I've only got four mares but you know um I also do some ten hooking uh, have a few stallion shares and seasons and, um, you know, I just, uh, I just like the game, you know, and, uh, and I really, you know, as much as uh, anything else, I don't know anything else well enough to, you know, really stick my, you know, my, my foot in there. So, uh, you know, I'm happy doing what I, what I do. Well, you, you've made a heck of a life for yourself. Now you've got kids at home, right? Well, they're they're not many of them, not hardly at home anymore. There, I got a daughter who's 26, Caitlin, and uh, she is actually back at home. She went to college and she studied dance and did all that stuff. And then uh, she and my wife just opened a dance studio about uh, nine months ago. My middle daughter is over in London finishing her studies. Uh, she's studying to, for uh, fashion merchandising. Um, so she's got one more semester after this to go and then hopefully she'll be able to get a job. And then my youngest daughter is up in New York, uh, uh, in a school study trying to, you know, she, her idea is to, you know, someday be on Broadway. Well, so they're, they're busy now. We got together because of a mutual friend of ours, uh, Lindley Smith. Uh, right. uh, through, because uh, she knows you folks through the dance studio. That's right. Yeah, her daughter dances with but, uh, Caitlin. But I guess you knew her from back in your River Downs days. Well, I actually, I think I knew her more from when I came back uh, after I retired from riding and I uh, was working at Turfway. I worked for Turfway's uh, associate vice president, but basically, you know, my, my main job was promotion, PR. And, uh, yeah, so she was riding part of that time, and then, yeah, then she started, uh, you know, she got a farm, a little farm and started teaching, uh, you know, teaching riding to uh, kids. And uh, 
So yeah, I've known her at least 25 years. Yeah. One of my favorite people. Uh, I know. Small world. It, it yeah, is. Well, the, the horse idea. business is that way, right? And yes, it is. It's, uh, you can walk, like I say, you can walk in with queens and kings and queens and, you know, and then grooms and <laughs> the hot walkers, you know, so it's all the, and they all show up at the same place. <laughs> that, that's what makes it great. Now, when you're yep. at the sales, what what's the name of the farm so people can keep an eye on your consignment or, or do you consign with uh, other Dreamfield. people? Dreamfield I'm sorry? Farm. It's Dreamfield. Okay. D-R-E-A-M-F-I-E-L-D-S, Dreamfield. Uh, and I'm here in Verona, Kentucky. Yeah, I've got, uh, so I've got some partners in some of my racehorses that, you know, they use, but they run under Dreamfields, you know, and partners. And, uh, we've got a real nice filly called Miss Imperfection. She won, we won three races at Churchill in a week. Uh, she won a maiden special. Uh, another filly called Palace Avenger, who's by Palace, won special. And then we had a little filly called Queen of Verona. Um, and she won a maiden claimer. So, yeah, we That's got a not a bad more. week, huh? No, it was a great week, especially with the purses down at Churchill. They're pretty good. So it was good. Well, we wish you all, all the continued luck in the world. And uh, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're real busy right now. Uh, it's a pleasure having you on the show. And uh, we'll be our sponsor, Racetrack Supply, will be sending you a gift certificate. And we look forward to speaking with you again. Anytime. It's a pleasure, always. Steve, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. And now no we'll problem. just break for a couple of commercial words. We've got a great guest, Michael Dickinson, to follow Steve uh, in what seems to be like our All England show. your passion for horses into a career with a bachelor's degree in either biomedical sciences or business administration with a concentration in equestrian studies and do it at a private university with small classes led by experienced professors. Kaiser University's flagship campus features a beautiful campus situated in the heart of West Palm Beach that has suite style residence halls with 24-hour security, Wi-Fi, cable TV, and a marketplace for delicious meals. Competitive opportunities are available through our equestrian team, who is a proud member of the IHSA. Visit Kaiser University at www.kaiseruniversity.edu or call 561-478-5500 for more program information. horses running fast and running longer. Racetrack Supply is your online choice for all your tack and supply needs. With thousands of products at the lowest prices delivered right to your door. Visit racetracksupply.com or call 561-774-5200. They are superstar athletes, but they don't ask for more money or go on strike. They bring their best every time they play. They are great thoroughbreds, retired, and old friends. And here's commentator turning for home in the Whitney with a three-length lead. 
And here's commentator to win the Whitney again. And boy, he did it with some front-running style today. All commentator wants is a peppermint and to hang out with a couple of his pals, like Eclipse Award winners Hidden Lake and Sunshine Forever, or even a Breeders' Cup champ. Prize the surging Sierra Roberto toward the inside, a driving finish in the turn, and here's the wire, and it is prized! Many of the past superstars of our sport are still running around. So come visit them at Old Friends in Georgetown, Kentucky, or at our Bobby Frankel division, Old Friends in Saratoga. I know they'll be glad to see you. Go to oldfriendsequine.org or call us at 502-863-1775. When you head to a horse sale, either looking to buy or sell, you really don't know what's going to happen. In the blink of an eye, horses can leave the ring undersold or overpriced. But what if there was a better way to ensure fair market price for both the buyer and seller? Here at The Stable, this fall, we're offering just that. We offer the ability to see your yearlings hard at work while giving you a better chance to make informed decisions that are calculated, not spur of the moment. We'll also provide in-depth commentary from our trainers, blacksmiths, and veterinarians on how each horse is progressing. The home turn now with two fences left to jump in the Gold Cup and it's a Michael Dickinson quartet at the moment with Brigon the leader from Wayward Lad, John Joe O'Neill moving into second, Silver Buck is third, David Goulding is fourth on Captain John, then comes Ashley House and Coombs Ditch as they come to the second last, Brigon in the lead from wayward lad silverback and captain john and that's how they jump it coming to the final fence now it's going to be an unprecedented michael dickinson quartet if they all jump the last fence brigon is in the lead from captain john challenging on the near side brigon lands over it captain john second then wayward lad racing into the closing stages and it's brigon being challenged by wayward lad captain john on the near side brigon being passed now by captain john brigon striding up to the line to win it Brigon wins the Gold Cup, second is Captain John, and third is Wayward Lad, and fourth is going to be Silverback. An amazing one, two, three, four for the Michael Dickinson Quartet, and he's going to achieve the fifth because Ashley House runs on to be fifth. Michael Dickinson is our guest, and uh, Michael, when we talked about doing the show, I told you would ask, let's talk about the future, but I had to go back there because... That's kind of the start of the future for you, isn't it? Uh, yes, I still have tears when I, I listen to the call, Sir Peter's call. Yeah. And and that that race, for most people, they would have said, this is a great career. I'm staying in, in England, and I'm not going to do anything different than I'm doing right now. But that, that didn't work for you. You, um, you wanted more. Well, I suppose so. Um, Robert Sangster, who was the leading owner at the time, he offered me a job to train on the flat, and it was a very, very good offer. So uh, we both, it, it didn't work out. I was there for a year and I got fired. But he shouldn't, have been, he shouldn't have been asked me for a high-profile job like that because I hadn't had any experience on the flat at the time, and, um, and I shouldn't have accepted. So we both made a mistake. But, however, I came to America, and I've been really happy in America, more happy than I could have been anywhere else. You probably don't recall this, but back in about 1990, I visited your farm, and I think you were in Kennett Square or, some, or in somewhere in Pennsylvania. Am I correct? No, we were at Fair Hill. F- uh, Fair Hill. Yes, and, 1990. Uh, 
Yes, you we were there for eight years. We like Fairhill. It's a very good training centre. As you know, Graham Motion, Max, um, Michael Stidham, Michael Trombetta. It's it's a beautiful facility, but I guess you felt that you needed to be in your own place. Yes, I did. And you yes. built places. You built farms in in England when you were training there. Am I correct? Yes, I did. Yes, I built three training centres. One was uh, for my parents in Yorkshire. That's before we trained those that the race you've just heard. Then I rebuilt Manton for Robert Sangster, and then I built my farm to Peter Farm. We've got 250 acres on the north end of the Chesapeake Bay, and we have 40 stalls, and we have, what do we have? Um, uh, three turf tracks and two torpedo tracks. And, in, in, again, doing my research, can you talk a little bit about the torpedo which you developed and also the turf tracks because you have a unique irrigation system for your turf, sh- turf tracks? Um, <laughs> well, we've got three turf tracks. Uh, one for normal weather, one for dry weather, and Noah's Ark for wet weather. So however much rain, we can nearly always get on it. Um, and that was I did all that before I realized how good Topeka was going to be. <laughs> I needn't have done that because Topeka is nearly all weather, handles uh, almost anything we can throw at it. Now, how did you develop Topeka? Right, well... I was familiar with dirt tracks, and I didn't like them. I said, we can do something better than this. So I wanted to invent a better dirt track, but I couldn't. I mean, uh, dirt tracks have been around for 100 years. If there was an easy solution, somebody would have done it before I did. I tried oh, for six months. All, I tried a zillion different things, adding them to dirt and what have you, and none of it worked. So then I wanted to do a synthetic track. So I did that. I had 53 different samples, and, and it was okay. Fast forward eight years, eight, ten years ago, my wife says, I can do better, as wives do. <laughs> and uh, she, um, I said, well, you better know more about sand, fibers, wax, and polymers than anybody else. So her and Miguel studied very hard, and after eight years and lots of trials, like, 200, 300 trials, they came up with Topeta 10 because they made 10 improvements from my formula. And you, you put that down at, at your place, I know. And yes. W- where else is it? Well, I put it down at our place for eight years before we marketed it because we wanted to see that it worked. But the original Topeta tracks were Presque Isle in Pennsylvania, Golden Gate, and one in Tasmania. And we have a training track for Godolphin at Alquaz in Dubai. And we have for Mark Johnson, who is the record-breaking trainer in England. And we're in 10 countries. Um, but then to Peter 10 came along, and my wife did Wolverhampton and Newcastle in England, and uh, Woodbine, obviously in Canada. In the safety level... Of, of the surface is, is tremendous. And, and do you have some st- statistics that you could give us? Yes. Um, we, are, we, we were naught for 8,799, but we've had a fatality recently, about a week ago. I'm so sorry. So we're now one for 9,000. 
But the fatality really wasn't the track's fault. The horse actually uh, got struck into behind by another horse. So we can't blame the track for that. That was pilot error from the jockey behind. So we are one, uh, this is Wolverhampton and Newcastle, one for 9,000 going on. Question that I have is a, a trainer is the number of starts that your trainers are getting that are racing on that surface as compared to traditional dirt. Is there, there any way to look at those numbers? Um, I'm sure there is. I haven't actually done it yet. Yeah, you know, I, I just think that that type of surface, and that, that's what I said when, when we we first talked. And again, you probably don't remember. You you were thinking that there needed to be a better going for the horses, and I remember the day very very clearly. It was kind of a rainy, snowy day, and we were talking about a horse that I had just sold to somebody, and uh, you had mentioned this too. So this has been on your mind for a long time is the safety aspect of it and the longevity aspect of it. Yes. Um, one of my mentors was Vincent O'Brien, who won the English Derby, as you know, six times. Right. Champion trainer lots of times. He was my mentor on synthetics. I spent two summers with him. And he was my mentor in synthetics. About He, he invented the first all-weather gallop 50 years ago. Talk about being ahead of his time. Right. He was way ahead of his time. So that's where I got my passion, obtained my passion. He was way ahead of his time in just about everything, though, wasn't yes, he? Yes, he was. Yes, a, br a brilliant trainer. Yep, way ahead. Well, I've only watched interviews of him. Your energy and his energy are very similar. <laughs> yeah, but he's got more brains than I've got. <laughs> I don't know about that. So, so the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about is – for a number of years, you stopped training. Right. And, oh, yes. And well, then, then you came back. Yes. Okay, good okay. point. Well, um, my wife wanted to take, to, when she had this new product, wanted to take to Peter Puttings around the world. Well, she'd worked very hard as my assistant for 20 years, so I did that. And I always wanted to travel the world, so I went to 15 different countries. Uh, so I had a great time. And I also had a lot of time working with some of the top trainers around the world. So it was great for me to be able to discuss all the different methods of training. So, uh, yes. <laughs> and then um, a gentleman uh, in China wanted Joan to build a track. So she said, yes, we'll build a track for you. And then he said, Michael, I'll send you 20 good horses. So that's why I came back. In the meantime, my Chinaman disappeared as Chinamen do, <laughs> um, and uh, I don't know if he's even still alive. Uh, he might have been, might have been involved in some corrupt work, but we don't know. And so you, you decided to come back, and he disappears. So what do you do? Because you're, you're winning now at 31%, so something had to click and really yeah, well, work I, for I, you. Yes, uh, I've got three smashing horses for George and Julia Strawbridge. And uh, George has been a, a good, well, he's a terrific uh, breeder and a very good owner. So I'll train a few for him and just a few for some friends. And it's great. Are you really enjoying it, it sounds like? Yes, 
Yes. Well, I love horses, and um, uh, so I'm surrounded by them. I don't have too many. Um, we have 50 acres of turnout, so my favorite time of the day is in the morning, going out when they're all in the field, eating grass, playing with each other. Uh, that's the most rewarding, because they work so hard for me. So what can I do? I mean, apart from giving them three square meals a day, and to go out in a field, with, uh, we turn out for four reasons. One is for the mental aspect, two is fresh air for the lungs, three is fresh green grass for the stomach to help the digestion, and four is to improve the, uh, uh, the walking around, um, improves the uh, structure of the whole body. And, and that is kind of a European carryover, isn't it? Not really, no. Not many people in Europe. Um, uh, the steeplechase trainers do, but the flat trainers don't. A lot of the steeplechases do, but um, no, not many really. Now, but, I mean, it's, it's you, because you it's, it's, you, need, you need a lot, of, a lot of acres, a lot of grass, and the maintenance of my paddocks is phenomenal. You know, it costs me a lot of money. So most people really can't afford it. No, it's a great luxury for the horse, and they get to yeah. be horses, which is an incredibly important thing. Right. That that's just going kind of back to the um, just going back to the first uh, the the Cheltenham Gold Cup call. Right. The year before, I'd been uh, first and second in that race. It's the Kentucky Derby of steeplechasing. Now, to people who are not familiar with Cheltenham, Cheltenham is four days of championship racing. Bit like the Breeders' Cup for uh, uh, Cheltenham in March. It can be cold and it can be wet. Uh, they have, I think, six million dollars in prize money. They get sixty to seventy thousand people every day for the four days, and they bet quarter of a billion dollars. So it's quite a big deal. So I was first and second the one year. So my girlfriend, wife at the now, uh, said, "Oh, well done, first and second. I said. Well, I'm going to have the first eight next year, which is, of course, an outrageous statement. So every time we got in the car, I would do my Peter O'Sullivan impersonation of the, of the race. So she'd heard this race about a zillion times, and I knew what was going to happen with my horses, and I knew what the Sir Peter would say. So I used several phrases. So she was actually listening on the radio at home at the time, and I've heard this before. I've heard this before. <laughs> And heard this before, and then she just burst out tears. Well, that obviously was an incredible training job. Now, you you had one of the more incredible training jobs here in the United States, and I'll, I'll always admire the job that you did bringing the horse back to win the Breeders' Cup. Uh, and if I could ask you a question about that, I noticed that you used a turf race as his one and only start prior to going to to the dirt mile. Right. And no, it wasn't the dirt mile, it was the turf mile. The turf mile, rather. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, what was the philosophy there? Okay. Well, it'd been off a year. It, it, it strained the tendon uh, training in South Carolina. This is before we had the farm. Uh so I was off a year with a tendon, and we brought him back, and it was having more problems in June. So the bottom line is we didn't get him to the races, I think, until September. And the Belmont race was washed off the turf. So was one at the Meadowlands. 
So the last chance was just an allowance of colonial downs. So we went there. Uh, just to, we knew he was fit enough and we knew he was good enough just to have uh, any ring rustiness. It was his first time at a racetrack for two years. So that's why we ran at Colonial. And was it a deep track that he raced over there? Because that sometimes gets pretty deep. No, no, the turf track there. No, it's a good turf. It was firm turf. If you remember, uh, Gary Stevens won his Breeders' Cup with him on um, Woodbine in 96. So we were training him back for 98. On the first of every month, I would call uh, Ron Anderson, who was Gary Stevens' agent at the time. I said, now, you will ride the horse for me in the Breeders' Cup. So the first of January, first of February, first of March, first of April, I'd remind him. So we come to the first of September, I think. Might have even been the first of October. Now, um, Ron, you will, Gary will be riding my horse. Oh, well, no, we're not riding you. I said, well, I've reminded you every month. So I said, well, I said, what are you riding? Among men for Sir Michael Stout and Michael Tabor. I said, you are Among men? <laughs> you must be joking. So I said, well, it doesn't matter wherever they finish, first or second or last or next or last. I'll bet you a grand that we finish in front of it. So he took me on. He paid up right away because he's a decent man. <laughs> and the, the horse goes on to win the race and... You you you've had some great success now coming back. Tell tell me about some of the better horses that you've, you're training right now. Well, we've got um, lift up for George and Julia Strawbridge. She's a lovely filly. She's won three stakes this year, and we haven't seen the best of her yet. Um, but uh, yes, and we have a, a good horse. Every bit is good, but she hasn't won a stake yet. It's called Theodora B. She's been second in two stakes. Um, and there's a lot of improvement in her yet. Michael, so it's exciting. I don't want to cut you off because I could visit with you for hours, but your wife is waiting at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, well, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying. And, and I promised it. you that we, we take 15 minutes and we've taken 20, and I don't want oh, you well, to get into well, trouble. Well, I, it, uh, I think it's only five minutes because I've enjoyed uh, it very much, and thank you very much indeed. No, and I'd love to have you back when you do have more time and talk a little bit about your philosophy in, in developing the racetrack and uh, developing horses because I, I believe in a lot of what you're doing and I think a lot of people would love to hear it. Okay, that's super. I'll be delighted to do that. And thank you. Thank Great. you, Les. Enjoy your okay. wife. Have a good one. And thank you for okay. visiting with us. Okay, bye. And this is Les Salzman on the Equisport Radio Network. We appreciate you tuning in and uh, we'll see you uh, next week. And Look forward to visiting with you.